Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for digital transformation leaders where we discuss the latest cyber attack issues, enterprise security strategies, and current security events so that you can successfully accelerate network and security transformation. And now here's what's on our mind this week. Hi, I'm Lisa Lorenzen, Director of Transformation Strategy with Zscaler, here with my colleague, Pam. Hi, everybody. Pam Kubitowski, Senior Director of Transformation Strategy, also. And today we're going to talk about the Secure Access Service Edge. So Gartner has come up with this new framework, talking about a modern cloud architecture for securely connecting users and devices to applications. The idea is to converge network as a service and network security as a service components into a single service and to shift the burden to a heavy cloud while leaving branches and clients thin. So we're pushing security to the edge as close to the user as possible. This has a lot of different benefits. Pam, why would people transition to SASE? I think it's a great question. And I see a lot of companies ponder that very question, Lise. You know, in our roles, we talk to a lot of peers in the industry. And what they all come back with is their people aren't in the office. And that was that was happening before COVID, right? They had remote users, their applications were moving to cloud, they were moving to SaaS-based applications. And things were moving outside of their the four walls of their data centers and their people were moving out of their facilities. Mm-hmm. So because apps and users are everywhere now, you have to really move that security out with them. And you can't go ahead and backhaul all that traffic from an end user being remote through a VPN back to the data center, then out to some destination. It's a horrible end user experience. And it's about giving the end user a great end user experience, going direct to wherever the application resides, but yet doing it securely and being able to go ahead and be agile, enable the business to be able to have that option. So this sounds like another one of the many trends that started before the pandemic, but has really accelerated as we've shifted more to work from home. But I'm sure that there are still some people that are just starting to transition from a more traditional or legacy networking and security approach. If you're starting out on the journey, what are some of the things people need to think about? I think, Lise, you're right. It did start before, way before the pandemic. However, the pandemic kind of propelled companies, right? Because so many of them now are thinking about what is tomorrow. Some will have some of their their workforce go back to the office and others now are just shutting down commercial space, which is very interesting, right? From For the economy, but- Sure, saves money, reduces overhead. Absolutely. But again, now they really have to focus on that end user and protecting the end user getting to the app. And so some of the things they need to think about if they're starting out on this journey is number one, what does their model look like going forward? What do they want to be able to achieve with moving, you know, moving more to SASE? And if it is all about having that secured remote workforce and your apps being wherever they're going to be, is your technical staff ready? Because what's interesting about this is I I talk to so many and there's that hesitance because today and yesterday, so many could walk into a data center if they were there and touch a box. They knew how to do that. They knew how to troubleshoot that environment. It was operationalized. You know, they knew what they knew. But moving to this new world, it really does, I think, freak some people out, especially from a technical perspective, because they don't know what they don't know. It's new. 
my same tools aren't going to work the same way tomorrow because yesterday the tools that I had focused on what was in the data center. So the tools have to change because I don't have the right visibility now because where is everyone and where is everything? So I think it's assessing your people, making sure that from an executive level down, they're setting the clear expectation of where they want their actual um, focus to be. What does their journey want to look like, right? What, where are they trying to get to? They also have to look at the interdependencies between the actual groups, meaning what is the relationship between cyber and network? Because it is dependent, this transition, that they, they both work together as one. It's kind of like the two sisters that wear the, share the same sweater. You're sharing the same sweater, but you both have a very different, maybe approach or look. You know, it's all about being able to work harmoniously together towards the same goal and not contentiously. Regardless of whether you're looking at the technical considerations or the political considerations, layer eight, if you will, there are going to be people who see it as a challenge and push back on it, but there will also be people who see it as an opportunity and embrace it. So it sounds like it's critical to help recognize both of those camps and shift people from the challenge mm-hmm. camp to the opportunity camp. Right. And show them how does this, how does this fit into them? How does, how does this fit into that individual from their technical abilities? show them what tomorrow looks like and show them also how they fit into tomorrow because so many get freaked out that all of a sudden their job will be gone. And we hear this, I'm sure you hear this, but show yep. them how they do fit into the future of the, the new organization, how that organization will, will change. And that's any evolution in any IT area. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sure that when cloud hosting for private applications came along, people who had only ever hosted apps in the data center had a similar reaction. Absolutely. As you start to assess this change, what areas may be lacking? Where do you tend to find deficits? Well, I think what's interesting is that you may want to think about that when you're doing a POC. So, so let me say it this way. You know, you start to think about you're going to change. You have to change. You can't stay the way you were because so many have become more vulnerable because so much has moved off premise users apps and because they've become more vulnerable they're just hoping that nothing happens yeah and how long can you hope that nothing happens before something happens hope is not a plan <laughs> no and so i see a lot of companies who are toying and 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 really processing the are they at the right point to change start the change and those are the companies that are thinking about and they'll do a poc and, and I see a lot of companies do multiple POCs with different platforms because they're trying to identify which is the right platform to get to what they believe is right for them in a sassy definition. Because let's face it, sassy, the definition by itself can mean many things to different people. And because of that, what's right for a definition and strategy for each company? Running a POC allows IT staff to determine what will actually fit in their environment. Do they fulfill what they're deeming is sassy for their company? And when they do that POC, honestly, what I've seen some companies really benefit from is think about not just about, hey, the technology works. Think beyond that. Think about how will you operationalize this technology? You know, where I see companies go wrong and they struggle them is they bring in a new technology. They get people to start to think about the change, embrace the change, 
but they don't think about how it will be operationalized in the environment until they all of a sudden dump it on operations. And operations is like, what is this? How do I do this? Right? What do I change? Think about that during your POC, bring in the operations people, let them touch it. Also, one of the things I've seen real, work really well is, I know we do this. We, we do a great job, I think, of this as being a former customer. There's online training. Get your people the online training. If you do do a POC for Zscaler, give them the online training that actually walks through what is Zscaler? What is zero trust to Zscaler? What will it be to your environment? Because that training gets their minds now changing and thinking about things differently than what it was yesterday. Also, I'll tell you what, what's interesting that I never thought about when, you know, the POC was done when in, in my former role was I didn't ask my teams, hey, look at the logs now. Some of the things you should be doing is looking at logs and seeing what do I need to see? What do I want to see? And start with that. Don't take everything in kit and caboodle because it's going to be overwhelming, but focus on certain things of what you may have today how does it correlate into the new world and look for those things during your POC? That makes a lot of sense. And I think that one of the things that a proof of concept can be useful for is helping you identify areas that will be easy, low-hanging fruit mm -hmm. versus areas that you want to think about better. So you're not going to test every single use case or user community in a proof of concept but you should get an idea of how tall is that first step? How much effort will it take to get started on the journey? And then where are the areas that you may want more visibility, want to gather more information versus the areas mm -hmm. where you already have all of the context you need and you can really move forward into deployment? Absolutely. You know, in, in so many, I think it freaked out because of the legacy world so many corporations have, right? That Those legacy environments, those non-standards, you know, unless you're a, a startup in the last 10 years, you have that old world and don't let it stop you because you, to your point, can start the low hanging fruit, focus on that and then put it in different buckets. Here's the easy bucket. Here's the, ah, okay, it's going to take a little bit of adjusting and here's the hard bucket and put a plan together for your hard bucket so that it doesn't stop you. That's one of the nice things about SASE being a framework, more of a concept than a specific technology or a specific solution. It's a set of principles that you can apply to different problem spaces. So it isn't a big monolithic change. It isn't a rip and replace. It's finding a pain point or finding an area of opportunity to improve, applying the SASE principles to modernize that solution figuring out what you've learned from that step in the implementation, and then taking a new look at your other use cases to see whether it changes your approach to any of them as well. Absolutely. I couldn't have summed that up better. So what's the key point to consider as people are moving into the SASE universe or for people who are along the path and are trying to figure out the next steps, the best way to move forward in their journey? Partner with someone who just specializes in this right, who specializes in zero trust, in SASE, because those partners will be able to help you walk through your journey. You don't know what you don't know. I didn't know what I didn't know, right? Walking through the journey, there were bumps along the ways. And when the bumps come, unless you're expecting bumps, which frankly, maybe we didn't expect as many bumps as we may have had, but the bumps came and then, you know, people start to freak out. Do we make the right decision? 
Yeah, we did. But understand when you make a change, when you shift direction, you will uncover the sins of the past. You will uncover all of the band-aided systems that maybe those who band-aided it years and years ago have since retired or moved on. And everybody's like, oh, now we have to unwind this. And so set proper expectations that you will find things. But if you have the right partner, that partner actually helps you get through those things and helps you um, mitigate what you have to actually go ahead and resolve. And I think it's important when you talk about choosing a partner to also consider what sassy means to that partner. Because unfortunately, the the sassy label has very much like the zero trust label been stuck on a wide variety of architectures and solutions today. And there may be a very significant architectural difference for a cloud native, modern network and security solution that's born in the cloud versus a traditional network and security approach that has been forklifted to the cloud without really changing the architecture or the some of the backend implementation. So not all SASE is created equal. And you really want to consider nothing is certain but death and taxes and technical debt. <laughs> and so when you move into the SASE world, if you're moving to this new approach, but you're using a legacy model to do it, then how much of that is just taking your technical debt and putting a new coat of paint on it? Like we used to say, are we just slapping lipstick on a pig? Yep. Well, I think that one of the biggest areas of potential is that SASE enables organizations to take a step back and look holistically at their goals and their initiatives and start to see this as one large picture rather than isolated security projects, isolated network infrastructure projects. You know, maybe you have a direct to internet project and you have a improving remote access project at the same time. And those are really two sides of the same coin. SASE really provides you that larger picture to fit these puzzle pieces into, if I may mix my metaphors. So as you think about SASE as a lens for looking at IT problems, do you think it's possible for IT to communicate this clearly to the business? I mean, how does IT help the business understand the benefits of SASE? I think a lot struggle with that because, again, anytime you mention the fact that you're going to be changing technologies, it makes end users nervous. It makes executives even more nervous because they're still, we're still in, in very trying times for many companies they're trying to figure out what their go forward strategy is from, from a remote workforce and so forth. So they don't want to take the risks of change right now. And so I think one, something that we need to help others understand is, is that to your point, you can be very, let's call it modular. You can have sub projects that all move you towards SASE. And it's all about being able though to articulate to the C-suite, to your execs, what do you want to achieve and how will you achieve it? And put break it down into small, like you said, sub-projects. Not only will they see, right, what makes up this full transition, see that you're reducing your risk, you're going at, at it in a very, in more of a contained approach, 
And also give your staff things to work towards. Okay, here's an achievement here. Oh, yeah, we did well. Here's another sub project. Ah, that one a little bumpy, but that's okay because, oh, the next one went really well. So give them wins along the way, which will help them embrace the change. It's all about embracing change and being able to show them those wins when after maybe something doesn't go so well. Absolutely. At the end of the day, the human perception of success, of achievability, the confidence that you get can be make or break factor in any technology project. Absolutely. And you know, Lisa, into from an end user perspective, moving to SASE is awesome because from an end user perspective, it's like being in the office. I talked to so many peers about the fact of creating an experience like the being in the office. When you're in the office, you don't think about where an application is. You don't think, what, what do I have to do to get to that application? All I do is click the application and I get to it like magic. That's the experience you create and should be created for an end user, which will then ultimately be a champion and embrace the change. So you don't want to have to drag screaming and pulling your end users. You want to give them something that they're excited about and makes their life so much easier. Well, I think that's a good note to wrap up on. Thank you for your insights. It's always fun to talk with you and I'll look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks, Lise. Bye everyone. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust with myself, Lisa Lorenzen, and my colleague, Pam Kubiatowski. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. Pam and I are directors of transformation strategy at Zscaler. You can find our profiles on LinkedIn or reach out to us and other CXO transformation leaders in the Zscaler CXO community LinkedIn group. Zscaler is a zero trust exchange inline cloud security provider for some of the largest companies on the Forbes Global 2000. Find out more about Zscaler at zscaler.com and copyright 2021.